Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. On this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I talk with Adnan Ashfaq. Adnan is the founder of Simply Medica. It's a great resource to really try to help simplify medical device regulations and your knowledge and understanding of those. And you can learn more by visiting his website, simplymedica.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-M-E-D-I-C-A.com. But during this episode, we talk about assessing the global regulatory landscape and what these changes mean for you. And specifically, we talk a lot about EU MDD, transition to MDR, and a little bit about the the uh, upcoming transition from IVDD to IVDR. So uh, lots of good nuggets of information in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Joining me today is Adnan Ashfaq. Adnan is the founder of Simply Medica. Adnan, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you very much, and lovely to be here with you. Absolutely, and you're calling from lovely Scotland, if I'm correct, right? Unfortunately, not at the moment, so I'm kind of relocated to Leeds, England at the moment, but I have my registered office still in Edinburgh in Scotland, but uh, currently in Leeds, England. Okay, but UK, The, the right? lovely north of England, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I thought today we could talk a little bit about, I guess the working title, so to speak, is assessing the global regulatory landscape and what those changes mean, but specifically, I thought we could dive into the EUMDR and, and that sort of thing. And yeah. maybe that's a really a great place to start. I mean, obviously, you know, you work a lot with medical device and I think pharmaceutical <clears throat> companies, if memory serves, of all shapes and sizes on the med device side, I'm sure you've been in the trenches trying to help companies figure out this transition from the EU MDD to the MDR. I guess, give us a lay of the land. What are you seeing these days? Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting, rocky, rolling three to four years since the regulations actually came out. And some companies were very quick to act upon it. In fact, some of them were well advanced, even at the draft stage, they were doing things. But the majority of the companies are still sitting there waiting to smell the coffee, you know, so to speak. They're still not fully convinced that this is something that they have to do. There's been a big shakeup in the industry. Of course, we've had the pandemic since last year, and that's really kind of scuppered things for a lot of companies. And they've really had to rethink their entire commitment strategy, whether they want to keep their devices within the European market, whether it's financially feasible for them to continue doing that, or whether they want to rethink their entire strategy and think globally where their best markets are. And so there's been a whole shakeup in the industry and lots of things are still being put in place. The whole kind of jigsaw puzzle's not in place. Udemed still kind of half-baked and we still have lots of challenges with IVDR, massive challenges with IVDR. I kind of see them as two separate challenges. Well, we talk about the European regulations, but the medical device regulations regulations and the in vitro diagnostic regulations both have their own challenges because we've been advanced with the MDR with the cutoff point which was meant to be last year the date of application and that got extended because of COVID to 26 May this year the medical device companies that were applying for the MDR a bit head start not only that but also many more designated bodies for MDR I think 26 designated or 23 notified bodies under the MDR and only six under the IVDR so huge huge challenges challenges. Yeah, I think you hit on a couple of points there that we can talk a lot about a little bit further. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, we all know MDR was supposed to go into effect in May of 2020. 
for obvious reasons that was pushed off for a year. So it went into effect May, 2021. But I think the thing that I, but we've known about the, the MDR regulations. I think those were first released to the world. What was it? 2017, I think, if I recall, something like 2017, that. 2017, but there was drafts, I think, thinking about almost as early as 2014 or 2015, yeah. you know, for a couple of years before. And they kept knocking around back and forward. And some companies managed to get hold of the draft. And, you know, they were very keen on moving things. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, to this point, I mean, none of this was really should have been a surprise. As you and I are talking today, I think only a few hundred companies have actually made that full transition. And that's surprising to me. Absolutely. There was a recent survey which was done by some organization called RWS, and I did manage to play some statistics, which are quite interesting. 53% of organizations are impacted by both MDR and IVDR, and only 44% of those organizations admit that the regulations are their top priority. So I think it really goes down to what is priority, and a lot of businesses don't actually realize to keep themselves in business that they need to see this as a high priority. And it usually comes back down to senior management not seeing this, because all they're interested in and sales. And it's kind of, unfortunately, a bit of a backward mentality. They're not realizing that quality has to be, you know, up there and regulations are mandatory. They're not optional. Right. And yeah, I think in early days prior to 20, you know, let's go from a period of about 2017, probably even leading up to May of 2020, a legitimate argument that was often presented is there's not enough resources, there are not enough notified bodies, et cetera. So, but you know, for the longest period of time, I know I was like, when is that going to change? Because, you know, I think early days, there were only a handful of, of entities that were, you know, credited to be able to do this. I'm like, that's not enough to meet the demand. But, you know, to your point, 20 some organizations yeah. for MDR today, I mean, okay, is that enough to serve the world demand? That's maybe debatable, but nonetheless, yeah. they're there. And the fact that only a hundred or so, a few hundred or so companies have actually you know, gone through and followed through with that process. That's a little interesting to me, but I think you're right. I think, you know, if you don't prioritize this, then you're going to ignore it. And I think ignoring it, it's not a really good business strategy. (laughs) No, it's not, unfortunately. I mean, I remember watching my LinkedIn profile and people posting how many notified bodies had actually been designated under the MDR. And I can't remember if it was towards Christmas last year or the year before. I think it must've been the year before where we had a handful of notified bodies because at that point, 26 May 2020 was the deadline. So everybody was panicking at that point and nobody knew that COVID was going to happen and no one knew that there was going to be an extension on the date of application for another year. So at that point, there was a huge panic and people were just watching how many notified bodies we were gaining by Christmas that year. Right. And I think it was 2019 and there were not many. It literally was a handful. So I think what happened was there was a huge burst of notified bodies that came into place as designated since that December up until present date. So, so those 23, if you think about it, since the advent of the MDRs, that really is a really small number, even still within that space of time. But it's progress, but very, very slow progress. Yeah, and there's, but, of course, they've got backlog as well, working on other things. Yeah, but I don't think that's the constraint today. Do you? I don't think it's a constraint, but I still hear lots of excuses from companies using that as an excuse and then using COVID as an excuse. And they're just really drawing it out until it gets to the point where, you know, it really, really becomes fatal for the business. Mm-hmm. And that might be the fact that a notified body actually removes their CE marking or they get a warning letter or they turn up at their doorstep with an unannounced audit or something like that happens, which has to be gravely detrimental to the business. Yeah. So I guess let's help explain or, or help me understand. There's a few hundred companies that have made that full transition and, and good for them. I'm glad they did it. Yeah. 
But what yeah. about the tens of thousands of companies that have not? What is their state of things right now? Are they just kind of rolling the dice, you know, hoping that they can continue on as business as normal? Did they file some sort of an extension? Well, how are these tens of thousands of companies continuing? Yeah, they haven't made that transition. What are you observing? I think that's a good question upon the subject because I think that I'm seeing a number of things there. As I said, you know, the, the skew scale back where the product ranges have been reviewed and rationalizing their skews and dropping some of the products from their range saying this is not financially viable let's just drop these ones and then let's only just do what's the high risk what we really have to do and get them through the high sales volumes so there's a big question around that and then there's also the question mark whether there's a big change between the directives and the regulations between the definition of what's gone from let's say software for example the rule 11 which was the new rule that came in which really caused a big shakeup for a lot of device companies software as a medical device and they're really questioning you know suddenly we've been self-declared. We've not had to have notified body. We've not had to have any audits and suddenly we have to do all of this. So that's really kind of made a big change in their business strategy. And some of them, again, they've had to review whether they've actually want to continue the business of uh, medical devices or not. But it's interesting when you go back to the definition of what is a medical device. And I've seen here a lot of companies go back to the actual definition and review to see whether they really actually define themselves as a medical device anymore. Interesting. Really interesting. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Adnan Ashfaq. Adnan is the founder of Simply Medica. You can learn more about Simply Medica by visiting their website, S-I-M-P-L-I-M-E-D-I-C-A.com. And and then while we're taking this break, I guess, share with folks, what is it that you do? How do you help them? Yeah, so basically, I mean, a lot of my clients are startup companies that have basically no idea about regulations. They've got a concept in their head and they want to launch into the market. And even sometimes that market can be unclear whether it is the European market or whether it's the US, which are the two biggest global markets in the world. And it's basically outlining what that regulatory pathway looks like, how long it's going to take them to get to market, what it needs, what the costs are going to be like. And there's handholding them throughout the entire process till they get their CE marking or whether it's FDA submissions that they need to or any other global markets. So it's all it's making sure that they've got everything in place and that the medical device industry is understood. And we try to make the business name Simply Medica, try to explain that we're trying to simplify the medical device industry where it's riddled, absolutely riddled with regulations. Absolutely. And folks, I would encourage you to go to the Simply Medica website. Again, it's S-I-M-P-L-I-M-E-D-I-C-A.com. Lots of information about how Adnan and his team can help you. And, you know, there's a pretty clear button that says, you know, if you want to talk to Adnan and his team, just click the button and schedule a time. I mean, it's really that simple. And and so I encourage folks to do that. While we're taking this break, I want to also remind you about Greenlight Guru. Greenlight Guru has the only medical device success platform on the market today, designed specifically and exclusively for medical device companies by actual (laughs) medical device professionals. So within the software platform, there are workflows to help you manage documents and records, design control, risk management, and all of your post-market quality events, things like CAPAs, complaints, and things of that nature. And it's all on a single platform, a single source of truth. So if you'd like to learn more about the Greenlight Guru medical device success platform, then please go visit www.greenlight.guru. And we'd be happy to have a conversation with you and understand what your needs and requirements are and see if we have products and solutions that might be able to help. 
All right. So, and then so far we've talked a lot, sort of the lay of the land, some of the issues and the challenges. I guess in the next few minutes that we have today, let's talk about the proactive, positive, I guess not so much proactive, but what are things that companies should be doing? Let's imagine that someone listening is in that state of where they haven't made that transition from MDD to MDR. Maybe they've been, you know, eliminating some of the SKUs or the products in the EU market for whatever reason. What are some next steps that these companies should and could be taking in order to effectively implement MDR? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, first of all, if you've got a medical device, then you need to proceed forward with the regulations. So there's no question about it. But if you're still doubtful, you need to look at the definition of the medical device. And I think it's quite interesting when I looked at the medical device definition and compared it between the FDA and the European regulations, the three terms which I didn't quite see in the FDA, which are monitoring, prediction and prognosis. And I thought that was quite interesting. And maybe the FDA are under reviewing their definition of a medical device, because if you think back from 93, from the directive of the European directives, these terms were not so obvious, but they may not even existed. I'm not sure if they were, but that's probably because the advent of technology has moved on so further forward in the last 25, 26, 27 years or whatever, (laughs) a mass tell 27 years is moved on so significantly that you've got artificial intelligence and machine learning and all sorts of things going on with nanotechnology. And the European medical device regulations outlines all of that because it's supposed to be bringing technology and regulations up to date. So there is answers and there are solutions within the regulations where I have to admit when I first looked at the regulations and most companies do, it just looks like 150 to 200 pages worth of bump, right? Riddled (laughs) with lots of more complications. So while it was supposed to have made things easier from a 60-page document in the directive to a 150-page document in the regulation. It's made things more difficult. There's much more terminologies uh, that people have to get familiar with. But I think the good thing is that there are, the European Commission have issued out these MDCG documents, Medical Device Commission Group, and those documents are very, very useful as guidance documents. So I would say to those companies, get on with the regulations. Don't think that there's not any guidance documents out there. Check out the European Commission website. There's a ton of medical device commission guidance documents and they're still issuing them there's still a lot of documents that are being issued and when you get stuck try not to do things alone try and really speak to people that know the business and that's what you know consultants like ourselves and Greenlight Guru and other people are out there for is to help you through that pathway that's important the other thing also is don't underestimate the cost of quality and regulatory and very often that's done you have to build it in and you have to know your market you have to know which market if it is the European market and also remember that the UK market has changed also because of Brexit. So there's the UK CA mark and the UK NI mark for Northern Ireland, which has further complicated things, just as if it wasn't already complicated and interesting. It's just become a bit more interesting (laughs) and more complicated. So within the European Union, you've got the CE mark to think about, but then within UK and Northern Ireland, you've got these other symbols to think about. So when you look at label and packaging, you have to make sure that your label and packaging has enough space on it to accommodate the potentiality of all three symbols. So there are definitely challenges. I'm not saying they're not, uh, but if you don't proceed and get on with it, unfortunately, it could cost you your business. That's, you know, I think that's really important for folks. As you mentioned, I mean, the EU and the US are easily the two largest markets for med device technology in the world. 
And yeah, okay, there is some, quote, newness to this. But, you know, when I read through the MDR, not, not so much the first time, but maybe the third or fourth time, you know, it just started to click. It made a lot of sense. Now, some of it seemed like it was a little egregious and a little overboard at times. But, but then if you, like, take a moment to understand the, I guess, really the genesis of how the MDR came to be, there were lots of factors that influenced that, not the least of which were, you know, some device scandals that took place in the EU. So now you start, to, when you start yeah. to factor that in, you realize, oh, there's some people, some companies that weren't on the up and up and maybe tried to cut a little corners here and there. But, you know, unfortunately, now that becomes rules that the rest of us have to follow. But as a patient, as a potential healthcare consumer, to me, I'm encouraged by that because of, you know, especially the post-market responsibilities that companies now have. And hopefully they should be doing anyway, because it just makes good business sense. But it is new, to your point. And, you know, with Brexit and all these sorts of things. So, you definitely need someone who's knowledgeable and has expertise in this. And I know that's something that you do all day, every day. So I would encourage folks, if you get stuck in any way, shape, or form, definitely reach out to Adnan and Simply Medica. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you pointed out your experiences with reading the MDR itself. I mean, and specifically the point that you made up about public safety, because people need to understand why the regulation has actually happened, you know, since 1993. And firstly, yeah, public safety had to become much, much more transparent because there were these spate of cases that were happening with individuals being traumatized and even death taking place and failure of efficacy of medical devices, which were not tested appropriately. But secondly, also because of the leap in technological advancement the directive was outdated and you know software AI and machine learning and all sorts of things that have happened it needed to be caught up with and we are good point now I mean the thing that amuses me the most at the moment is recently the UK have put out a public mandate for consultation on the future of regulations for medical devices here in the UK and if you look at some of the questions that they're asking the public all of the answers are in the regulations yeah you know so why ask for a different directive or regulation and just adopt the medical device regulation that the Europeans of. It's all there. The questions are all answered there. I just completely get baffled, you know, while we're kind of going through this process, but we are, you know, it is there. What can we do? Well, sometimes it feels like the more we try to make changes, the, the more it stays the same. But anyway, that's a, a whole different topic, probably for a different day. But, you know, and then mentioned the MDCG guidances. Folks, I want to let you know, we'll, I'll include a, a link to where you can find those in the notes that accompany this podcast. So you'll be able to check that out. But if you just type MDCG into a search engine, look for the ones that tie to Europe and good chance that you'll be in the right spot. But there's quite a, I was just perusing that as Adnan was mentioning, I always forget about resources like that, but lots of really great resources there. And then there, you know, there's other areas where you can get information too that are, you know, applicable like the IMDRF has a fair number of guidances that generally complement those types of things as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it helps, I also have a, a newsletter which has just been oh, um, oh, right. issued out, which has got all of the links to the MDCG documents as well. And that might be handy if it's any way of getting it to your audience. Absolutely. Well, we'll see if we can figure that out. Maybe we can include that in the link as well. But I'm guessing if folks visit the Simply Medica website, there's an opportunity for them to sign up so they can continue to get those exciting updates, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. So the last little bit that I want to chat with today before we wrap up, I mean, most of our conversation today has been somewhat MDR focused, but you did mention earlier on in the conversation about IVDR. I mean, as we're chatting today, we're literally just a few months away from IVDR technically going live. And I think that's slated for May 2022, correct? 
That's right. And I think there's a kind of fingers crossed and hope that that's going to be pushed out again, just like the MDR has been pushed out. And I think there has been a case that's been stated. I think some independent organizations have done that. There's some. There's been other voices which have industry voices that have tried to present a case to the European Commission to try and extend that out another year. I mean, I'm actively working with some IVDR businesses to try and make sure that they meet the date of application for May 2022. Regardless, you know, there's continuous challenges and that is one of the big challenges with IVDR, which is different from the MDR, is that you need to have for high-risk diseases for the class Ds, now the four classifications, A, B, C, and D, and D being the highest classification of high-risk devices, need to have an external reference laboratory to review the files that are being created. And those are not even in place, even to this date. And that really is concerning. With only six IVDR notified bodies, that is concerning. And I think, you know, there's a case that's being made to try and see if this can be pushed out. Right. Either way, I think the thing I'm hearing from you is if I'm a company that's an IVD company, and, and I think the other interesting thing for folks to realize with IVDR is, you know, we talked about the MDR evolving from the MDD in 1993. You know, obviously technology has changed and now more products might be considered a medical device today versus what they would have been back in 1993. Well, that is most definitely the case with IVDR. It is a much bigger umbrella, if you will, of types of products that are defined as IVDs. So what I'm hearing you share, and I think it's a great feedback or input or suggestions, if you are an IVD company or you think you might be an IVD company, or even if you don't think you might be an IVD company, now is the time for you to do your homework, your due diligence. There's lots of things that you can do in the meantime to be prepared, even if there are other parts and pieces that aren't exactly clear or known or identified yet from the European Commission side of things. There's still a lot of things you can do as a business to be ready for if and when those moments happen. Yeah. And just another point on that as well, which I thought companies have with the rules previously, all we had with the IVD directives was two lists, an A and a B list. So if you weren't on that, on those lists, you were self-declared. And so a lot of those companies had self-declared in vitro diagnostics, not having to have notified bodies. And suddenly now you've got those all switched to requiring a notified body. And now you've got four classifications, A, B, C, and D. And many of those self-declared have been jumped up to A's, B's, and maybe even C's in some cases. And that's really caused a lot of frustration. And that's where the challenges, the workload that's cut out for these companies that have suddenly got to now have technical files, which will be audited, you know, from a self-declared, you know, that's a, a very big jump up. Sure. And then I appreciate all your insights that you've shared today. Any final words of wisdom, tips, pointers, thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap up our conversation? Yeah. So, I mean, I always say the regulatory pathway is an absolute maze and it's in a conundrum of terminologies. And even for regulatory consultants like me, I've been in the industry for 22 years. I'm still trying to figure out some of those yeah. terms. Trying not to go alone. You're not alone. We are all in it together. There's lots of companies out there that have done it. You can learn from them. Consultants like myself, we work with lots of different companies and we see the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's why we're able to try and help the weak to benefit from the strong. Those strong companies will not give you the insight, but because we've seen it and we've got the best practice, we can give you that insight. So my advice 
this really is to try and build that and make sure that you've got skilled resource. And it's not just me saying that as a consultant. If you're hiring people, hire people with a skill that they can basically hit the road running because that's what you need to do now. It's not something that you can sit and wait on and educate yourself on over the next couple of years. You need to hit the road running. Yeah, I think that's very important for folks to hear because obviously Adnan and I today are talking about some of the regulatory changes in the EU. But, you know, tomorrow it might be regulatory changes in Canada or regulatory changes in the U.S. or what have you. I guess point being, this is a constant thing that we will be dealing with forever and ever in the medical device industry is the changes, regulatory changes that they're frequent. They're very, very frequent. And you have to be able to roll with it. You have to figure out a plan and a strategy and how you're going to address that. So great advice. Folks, Adnan Ashfaq, Simply Medica. Check it out, simplymedica.com. Great resource to have in your corner for sure. And as always, thank you for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. We're number one in the medical device industry, and that's because of you. So thank you so much. Greatly appreciate you being loyal listeners and sharing the word with your friends and colleagues. So keep doing so. And as always, this is John Spear, the host and founder at Greenlight Guru, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you.